If you have your Bibles, I want you to take those and open those to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 22 through, or actually 21 through 30. Our title for today is Life and Death and the Space Between. And our hope is that we would see that the good news of Jesus is to be woven into the fabric of our very souls, impacting and affecting each and everything that we do. It would be our goal to see this good news of Jesus advance. As we talked about last week, every parent in this room has sat in horror reading about the fundraiser that their kid's school is going to do. Uh, And you've been there, right? They send the paperwork home. They let you know that you are going to help your child to raise this enormous amount of money and they are going to trick them into serving as their servants with trinkets. Uh, We've been there. Uh, We had a situation where you, you had to sell stuff and you get this huge catalog that looks like the restaurant of every menu of every restaurant, the menu of every restaurant everywhere. You just overwhelm when you look through the catalog. So we make this decision as a family because we know that our child has to sell these things. We're just going to pick one thing in the entire book and we're going to sell that. We're going to rip the rest of the pages out. We're just going to sell that so that our kid can earn these little plastic bears that can be used to trade in for something that is far less valuable than the money that we have spent on this catalog. We did not want to be the people who bought all the things on the very last day of the fundraiser to make up for our child and to make them feel accepted and warm because who needs that in this icepocalypse we've just lived in. Shepherd was in the first grade. They send home the huge catalog. We look through it. It's overwhelming to us. And we tell him, you're going to go door to door and you are going to sell cookie dough and you'll get the little bears, but we want to practice what you're to say each and every time you go to a door. We want to make sure that you're nice, that you're polite, that you're kind, that you're courteous. We want you to make sure that the person that you're interacting with knows how much you care for them and how much you hope that they will buy this cookie dough from you. So let's practice. And the practice was very simple. My name is Shepherd Poe. And I'm selling cookie dough to raise money for my school. Would you like to buy some? He would say it. I would say it. He would say it. I would say it. He would say it. Hope would say it. He would say it. My name is Shepherd Poe. I'm selling cookie dough for my school to raise money. Would you like to buy some? My name is Shepherd Poe, and I'm selling cookie dough for my school to raise money. Would you like to buy some? Over and over, we practice with this child to get him to the place where he can be kind, courteous, polite. All of the things that you want your child to be when they stand in front of someone trying to make them buy their used goods. The first house we get to, he knocks on the door and says, Hello, my name is Shepherd Poe, and I'm selling cookie dough because I really want to get these little plastic bears. He was incredibly honest about his goal. In our next nine verses, Paul is going to be incredibly honest about his goal. And that is that we, as God's people, would live with the gospel in mind. Look at it with me. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is much, much better, far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm being persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that 
Because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together in the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. This passage really breaks down two ways. So in verses 21 through 26, we look at Paul's life. In verses 27 through 30, we look at our lives. One more time for those in the back. In 21 through 26, we look at Paul's life. In 27 through 30, we look at our lives. And Paul has a central goal to talk about what it means to live. For you and for me to live with Jesus in mind. He is intentional. He does not mince words. He says this intentionally directly to us. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Telling us this idea of a clausal statement. That if I live, Jesus lives. If I die, then I get better. Things are better for me. He did not mince words. C.S. Lewis says this about words and how we should be careful with them. He says, don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you could say very. Otherwise, you'll have no word left when you want to talk about something that's really infinite. Paul is talking about life here. And he's talking directly about this. That we would be people who live with Jesus in mind. For me, Paul in particular, I want to live. If I live, that means Christ lives. If I go on, that means Christ goes on. If I continue, that means the message that I've been called to communicate because of the person of Jesus continues. But if I die, it's all the better for me. He goes on to say in verse 22, Now if I live on in the flesh, this is a phrase that he uses from time to time in the New Testament. Let's not confuse ourselves. When Paul references in the flesh, he literally means here, if I go on living in this body, in this world, this means fruitful work for me. If I'm alive, I'm going to be about the message of Jesus going forward. It means that there is something for me to do. There is fruit for me to bear. There is something for me to put forth for the sake of the name of Jesus. We are people who like to talk about rest. We shared just a couple of weeks ago. Considering and contemplating what it means for us to rest in Christ. Here's the thing about resting. If we just rest for rest's sake, we eventually end up just lazy and lethargic. We don't rest for rest's sake. We rest for action's sake. Paul's saying here, I rest in the person of Jesus, but I will go forward actively bearing fruit for the name of Christ. He says this, I'm torn between these two ideas. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in this flesh is more necessary for your sake. He says, I'm bound up between these two things. Both of them have me zipped in. There are these things called Bettys. You more, maybe have you noticed them on some social media feed. They are the answer to the fact that your child will inevitably throw their blanket on the floor at some point in the night. 
You want the kid to make the room look good. So these Bettys, or whatever version of it you buy, is a one-piece, one-stop shop that you cover the bed with. I would like to have one for adults, but we don't. I digress. You cover the bed, and you zip it on both sides. Now, from time to time, I notice these children who live in my house, they're mine, they will zip each other up on both sides, trying to trap each other in the thing. Then when you look at this text, Paul's saying, I'm kind of zipped up, I'm bound on both sides because I really want to go and be with Christ, but I really want to keep living for your sake. It's the same thing that Paul communicates to us when we think about what he says in Galatians chapter 2. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ, but, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying in this text, as long as I live, I know that God has a point and a plan and a purpose for what I'm doing. And that is gospel advancement, gospel going forward because for me to live is Christ to live. But what I would really love, what I would love more than anything is to leave all of this and be with King Jesus. Paul's doing his very best to display and demonstrate to this church, if something happens to me, it does not mean that everything has gone wrong. Now, for us, if we're not careful, when we read of the life of Paul, Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, really much of the Bible, we look at Paul and we see him almost as this next level supernatural Christian. We see him as someone who is beyond us. And when we see someone in that manner... We don't believe that they can really struggle. Let's be clear with this text. And in light of all that we learn from the rest of the scriptures. There was struggle for Paul in regard to what he was going through. Struggles are things that take place for each and every one of us. Whether it's a struggle directly with sin or a struggle with the effect and impact that sin has had on our world. Struggles there. Paul says this in Corinthians about his struggle while in Philippian captivity. Or rather, while in Roman captivity. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. Ever felt that? Beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Has he delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us? We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. The many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that, that came to us through the prayers of many. His belief, his trust in who this God happens to be did not waver. However, his feelings did. And that's okay. I don't know at what point we decided to communicate that if we are going to follow Jesus that everything in our lives will be clean and neat and perfect with boxes and bows and it will all come together perfectly. That's not the nature of living in this fallen, broken world. 
this is hard. This is a difficult situation. We look at Paul and he's in prison and he is struggling and he is suffering. And I look back and think about in my own life when I have minimal struggles. Minor suffering. How much it affects me. How much it causes me to act like a crazy person. Paul says this in verse 25. I'm persuaded of this. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ may abound. He's saying, I know that hopefully, I believe, I believe, I believe. And he conveys this multiple times through the book of Philippians. When I get back to you. And I believe I'm going to come back to you. There will be a reason for us to celebrate. A reason for us to boast. Because of what we have shared together as the church. There will be a celebration of Christ when we see one another again. He is convinced that this church at Philippi needs him. And he is using words to emphasize the importance of that union to him. When I get there, we're going to party like it's A.D. 99. He loves this church. We all know, we have those people in our lives who are spiritually impactful for us. I'm not the first pastor of this church. There was a man named Brian McKenzie who was here before me. Brian McKenzie played in the NFL, so they wanted to follow suit. Same thing. And... Uh, he really is. Just a, you would see Brian and he's jovial and he's happy, but he's also huge. And I remember the first time that I met him in person, we had lunch. And I thought, he is such a big person compared to me. He is athletic, even though he is much, much older than me. He is this incredible specimen. What uh, One church member described him as a thoroughbred. I don't like to think about what horse they used to describe me. <laughs> and whenever he is brought up, for those who were here when Brian pastored here, there's this joy that is expressed. Maybe you came to faith because of the work of Brian. Maybe your family was brought together because God used Brian in your life. It conveys that. Paul is saying to this church, there is a love that he has for Philippi and he wants to get back to them. The shared experience. Paul is talking about his life. But what about your own life? How often, because of your spiritual impact and your faith the significance of your faith, does that impact the way that your world sees you? How often do you have people who look at you as a believer and, and see a, a model of what it means to be like Christ? How often would we say there is celebration because of our presence in the person of Jesus? This idea, this huge celebration of the life of Paul at the church at Philippi, how much he means to them. But then he turns it upside down. He, he flips it on its head. And he says to them, okay, this is my life. For me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain. Life, this world that I live in, it matters. But I want you to consider your lives or our lives. We see that in 27 through 30. He says just one thing in verse 27. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 27 through 30 is one sentence. That's something that complicates people or confuses people when they think about the Apostle Paul. 
that he uses lots of words, and he does use lots of words. As a matter of fact, at one point in the scripture, he says, I, I use lots of words. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. You have one sentence, and there is one verb on which everything else hangs from that point forward. It is the primary central verb in the text. And that is the word live. The verb live. Every phrase from this point forward is tied to the idea you are to live a life worthy of Christ. To, to live as a citizen of heaven. To live as a citizen was not an unfamiliar concept to the, to the Greco-Roman world. They had a unique sense of citizenship. It was a partnership. It was not merely about the benefit. It was not like they signed an HOA. It was about the responsibility of partnership. You did not just belong. There were things that were expected of you because you belonged. If you were in this Greco-Roman world, you did not just have a place where you would abide or stay. You lived in a community, and you not only lived in that community, you existed for the good of that community. You realized your potential in community. You did not realize your potential in isolation. The idea of being by yourself, away from everyone, was not something that was expected of you. As a matter of fact, you were the opposite was. If you belonged to Rome, you were going to be a contributing person to the nation of Rome. Your citizenship mattered. There was this mutual interdependence that was there. For the Greco-Roman world, there was this patriotic pride that was there. We belong to Rome, and if we're belonging to Rome, we belong to the most important nation in the entire world. And if you lived in Greece, or you lived in Rome, you would see this. For me to live is for Greece to live. For me to live is for Rome to live. And you would know that you were to live your life worthy of Greece. Live your life worthy of Rome. Paul, like a good cornerback, intercepts the concept. And when he does, he flips it again. And he says, for me to live is for Christ to live. That I should not live my life simply worthy of Greece or worthy of Rome. I'm to live my life worthy of Christ of Rome. My potential does not belong to Greece and does not belong to Rome. My potential belongs to Christ. My abilities don't belong to me, they belong to Christ. My, my impact does not belong to me, does not belong to Greece or Rome, it belongs to Christ. I am to understand my place, my purpose, my potential as someone who belongs to Christ. That's not just something that Paul was supposed to wear as a super-Christian. It's something that each and every one of us are supposed to wear as people who are united in Christ. To live your life. It's not simply about just the way that you express what you believe. What you believe matters. But true belief affects your conduct. Paul talks about the conduct of the believer throughout the New Testament. He says this in Colossians 1 verse 10. If you like to write down verses, these are great ones to write down. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walking is active. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says it again. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called. In 2 Thessalonians verse 1. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus himself uses this imagery from different perspective in Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever loses his father, his mother, or his son, or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does 
does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We walk, we live, we commit ourselves to the message of Jesus. John says the same thing when he tells us this. Those who claim to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Peter said it this way. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. I like the word pagans that some of your Bible uses. As so that when you slander... You, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good deeds and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let the way you spend your time say to those around you the good gospel of Jesus matters. Live as a citizen, he says. Paul views citizenship, belonging to Rome, not as the end. It's a means to the end. That I would be in the midst of this world, but I would not be of this world. That I would elevate Jesus in the middle of it. That's when he says to us, Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit. In one spirit means that you have a unified Desire, a hope that is connected. Uh, we've had played a lot of quarantine hoops at my home uh, over at Creekside. It's usually Shepherd and Charlie versus me and Alder. Just if, so, if you're not keeping score and you don't know the ages of my children because you have other things to think about all the time, Shepherd is twelve and Charlie is ten, and I am four, and Alder is five. And when we play two on two, Alder and I. Uh, we have different purposes. I want to win, and Alder wants to get buckets. That's all that he wants to do. James Harden-style buckets. I don't dribble the ball, I throw it up-style buckets. That's what he wants to do. We have a different purpose altogether. There's this division that we're working on regularly. We're driven by two separate things. Paul's in this world, and it's not uncommon for an army to get a new general. He comes in... And there would be frustration among the ranks as to who everyone should be loyal to. But you do know in this setup that the new general is going to eventually get his way. And there were those who would push back. But those who stood in one spirit as to this new regime, they were assigned to fellow soldiers that this new rule was really real. We are in a world that is sinful. It is not more sinful than it was in Paul's day. It's just as sinful. It presents itself differently, this sin. And in Jesus, we know that there is a broken creation. However, this broken creation has a new king. And it speaks volumes that those who know and trust and place their faith in this new king would stand together and be and stand together in spirit based upon what he said to us, what he's committed, communicated to us. In one accord, Paul says, not the Honda Accord, in one accord. That's a bad preacher joke. I don't know why I did that. I never do that. Contending together for the Yeah, you do. For the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. The Roman army would stand unified, unflinching and unwavering, even though there would be distractions. And despite those distractions or the strength of the other army or the preparedness of their enemy, they were together. We, as God's people, are to realize... 
that we have a king who is ruling and reigning now. That we have pledged allegiance to a king not who will come and reign, but who reigns and rules over things right now. Being a follower of Jesus is not only about what Jesus will do. It's about living like Jesus is already the true king and lord of the universe. And we have a higher king and we should not walk in lockstep with anyone who does not. There should be something peculiar about us that may possibly result in some really weird things. The uniqueness to following after Jesus will possibly cause misunderstandings. There's potential for it causing hostility. There's an opportunity that would cause persecution for you. Now let's be clear. We as followers of Jesus, we may understanding hostility and persecution. It is not because you follow... If you're acting like a jerk, that's a different thing altogether. But if we're going to be people who live in a way that says that Jesus is our King... There should be something that is odd about us. Paul says this, it's a sign of destruction for them. But your salvation, and this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, not only to trust in Him, but if we are followers in Jesus in this very difficult world that is shattered and broken because of sin, we will suffer for His name. You are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Paul is saying to this church, you are united with me in this at this point now. The fellowship of Christ's suffering moves the believer beyond the role of beneficiary of Christ's death to someone who shares in his sufferings. We are not simply people who receive, we now are people who live something out. Suffering for one's faith is intrinsically tied to the faith to being a believer in Jesus in Scripture. We see in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Acts chapter 5, Luke tells us this. After being beaten in Israel, believers left the council. (laughs) They were beaten. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. Haddon Robinson, a pastor, a professor who taught preaching, says this. He asked three questions to get to the core of the Christian life. Question one, do you love God? Question two, do you love others? Question three, do you mind if I ask them? If people were to begin to ask those who we spend our time with, those who we interact with, who stand outside of the faith, would they say that you love them? Would you say that you love them for all of their flaws? For all of their differences of opinion? Do you love them even though you don't agree with them about X, Y, and Z? And feel free to fill in whatever your X, Y, and Z is. We are called to live a life. This is about conduct. The way that you act, react, and interact. You will have failures in this. I had failures yesterday. But that does not mean that God has not called us to 
push, to strive, to seek, to hope that we would embody the person of Jesus. The, the word there that granted is unique because it, it's not just the idea of that I would grant this to you, I would hand you something. It's the idea that it's been graced upon you. Believers, belief and suffering has been graced to us. It is the grace of God that he would invite us to share in his sufferings. That he would ask us to be part of what's taking place. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings moves the believer to a different place altogether. Now, we're maturing. I would hope you're maturing. I would hope that I'm maturing. It's a weird word though. To, to consider what it means that to, tomorrow I will be more mature than I was today. And that this will be the process over and over. That tomorrow, the next day, I've taken another step toward being like Jesus. Where I'm seeing things differently than I did two weeks ago or even the day before. That I'm more like Christ. So if I'm going to ask us hard questions this morning, I may ask you this. If the mature Christian life is living life deeply with others regardless of your differences... Are you maturing? Politically, you, you see life differently than those that you work with and those that you live next door to. Are you maturing? If the mature Christian life is striving to live in a holy, set-apart, distinct way in the midst of that, are you maturing? If the mature Christian life is pressing fearlessly into the hope that you have in Christ and pushing away from all of your lesser hopes, are you maturing? If it is all of those things together, and spoiler it is, would you say that you're maturing as a follower of Jesus? How are we advancing? How are we conducting ourselves? It says that we really do believe that Jesus is Lord. And because we really believe that Jesus is Lord. And we really believe that God has raised him from the dead. Do we learn to temper our anger? Do we learn to be compassionate because Christ has called us to? Do we care for what Christ cares for? That we're maturing as followers of Jesus. Not trying to place our hope in this world when our king says that it's not. It's in the one who reigns and rules over all things. Next week, we will gather together and we will have just a, a rally. Feel free to bring your pep. And we will get together. We will sing to Jesus. We will think about Jesus just for a few moments. And then we'll go serve our community and hope to conduct ourselves in a way that honors God here, that displays Jesus now, that shows that we have a hope that is not in and of this world. I would encourage you, if you are a member of this church, or if you're just one of the regular attenders that I see regularly, because that's how regular attending works, that you would come and unite with us and think about what it means for you to serve Jesus as His person in this world, living as Christ. Just do this with me this morning. Bow your heads. We talked about Paul's life. We talked about our lives. We live as Christ. Or are you living as Christ? Walking, conducting, behaving, interacting in the hopes that people would see Christ interacting with them.
that the message of the gospel has transformed the way that you see frustrating things. That you are living in lockstep with your king. If you've never placed your faith in Christ this morning, I want you to know that there is hope there and only there. And if you need to trust Jesus this morning, we would love to have that conversation with you. To set up a time to to pray with you even now about what it means that God would stir your heart in an affection for Him and His King and His Kingdom, Him Him our King and as the leader of our kingdom. Maybe you evaluate your own your own motives over the last few months. Maybe some type of weird laziness and complacency has crept in. And you've, you've moved away from community and you've moved towards isolation. Jesus invites you to live as Christ, to, to, to function as a representative of His kingdom here. To have a unified purpose, a unified goal, and that is for you, not just Paul, but for you and for me to live as Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to gather together around your word and trust that it's true and good and real. And I pray that you have shaped us to be more like you today by the power of Scripture. By who you are and how you declare that you are that. Lord, I pray that we would not misunderstand what it means for us to be your people in a world that doesn't seem to be yours. That our hope and faith would be in you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. If you need me, I'm in the back, my right-hand corner.